I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Tonight I am joined by Dale, Dave and Cam, our regular contributors, but also Helena Wiseman. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Tane, and for saying uh, my name right. Well, thank you for rage tweeting it earlier this week. <laughs> Fifth rage tweet on the same subject. Yeah. I'm going to do it till it's fixed. <laughs> well, You're going to be doing it for a long time. Yeah. Good luck with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we should probably just crack on and talk football because we do have some other things to talk about at the end of this pod. Um, the men's game first. Uh, the starting lineup slightly changed by Callan Elliott picking up his fifth yellow. Uh, um, Timmy Payne going out to right back. Uh, Scott Wooten slotting straight in. Uh, pretty much as everyone called it, I think, guys. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly what we talked about last week, so I don't think a big surprise there. The only question mark we really had was whether Wooten had 90 minutes in his legs, and he saw out 90 minutes. Um, oh, spoilers, Dave. Wow. How many times do I have to tell you guys? More, apparently. You've got a rage tweet about it, mate. Honestly, uh, mate, we're, we're uh, talking about the game. It's not really spoilers. This is exactly no. the environment to talk about him playing 90. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest, mate. Uh, some people here haven't watched the pod, uh, haven't watched the game, so maybe I've they never haven't... watched a pod either, buddy. That's uh, pretty pretty common. <laughs> Video uh, podcasts happen. Yeah, not ours. No, no one needs to see that. No, I mean, I think true. you paid to see a live show of a podcast once, Cam. So I don't know that that's true. Hope you didn't pay for it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was invited. <laughs> uh, let's just deal with that first fifteen minutes. How did we feel it was going? Um, that I, I was hopeful. How was everyone else feeling? Helena, I'm going to throw to you just because it get you under the bus early. I mean, look, first of all, I'd say men's football, obviously, it's a different game, isn't it? Uh, but that aside, little jab at men's football aside, I mean, I wasn't feeling hopeful, but I don't know if that's just because I'm traumatized because I've been watching the Phoenix since I was nine years old. And like that kind of childhood, like does something to a person. Um, But when McGarry scored, I was like, well, that, that would happen, wouldn't it? Um, And then I kind of switched off a little bit, to be honest. I actually like, I don't know, like Tim Payne at right back. I always just feel like it's a little bit, Here's a dude playing right back. Been out of position? Yeah. Not out. I, I don't know if I want to put the point that strongly, but there's just something about it that always ends up feeling a little bit clunky to me. Even though I think he's a great utility player and I think he's probably a really good right back. It's just like. But is, is that not the uh, Phoenix way where um, uh, ex Phoenix players score against us and we have a utility player playing at right back? Yeah, I mean, death, taxes, that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that was exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, look, and someone that we lost scoring against us. It almost felt inevitable that he was going to score, to be fair. Uh, Didn't he score against us when he was playing for Newcastle as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're the only two goals of his season. They've both been against us, both of them. Jesus Christ. Of his alien career. I still don't really. 
really rate him either. So it's sort of particularly <laughs> egregious. In my it wasn't opinion. it wasn't good for the Phoenix by that measure. He's only gone good once he went elsewhere. That's the way it goes, isn't it? But it it seems to be anywhere elsewhere. That that mark and tracking at the back post was horrendous for that goal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it was a tidy finish from him. We we all expected there to be goals in this, right? All all of the previous games between the Mariners and the Phoenix lately have had goals. So an early goal wasn't exactly a surprise. It was just disappointing. It was the wrong way. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, yeah. Like, it just it sort of came from nothing, really. Like, even yeah. the cross from Storm Room was just quite floated and laughed. And I think I think Payne just got a bit Centre back. Yeah, I, I think he kind of thought he was centre back and he had a defender on the outside or, or didn't quite realise a left wing would be coming, you know, up that side. And he kind of just uh, didn't anticipate the, the urgency. Yeah. Um, Which is exactly my point. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, it was, yeah, like we just didn't really make them work for for that one, really. It's just kind of no. no Paint goes, Paint goes to try and um, mark um, Cummings, which against the Mariners is not the worst call. I mean, he is very likely to score from pretty much anything, but I think he then quickly realizes, oh shit, actually that's my man back there. I'm not the centre back, and then he's caught in no man's land. But his first instinct, his first step, is definitely Cummings. Yeah. Which is like reading the delivery wrong, you know, because like Dale said, it's a it's a speculative kind of drifty cross. You, what you're worried about is that late run. So, yeah, just kind of one of those moments. He does. He's also being tracked by one of the centre mids. One of the centre mids is following him, but when he gets to the box, the centre mid just drops off. So he's left to do this run into the space where, as a pain would usually be, but if the centre mid had kept tracking the run, then he'd have been fine. There were three, there were three attackers and three defenders there, so we needed that the the midfielder to read the situation and keep tracking and didn't. I don't know which midfielder it was. I'm sorry, I don't remember. But there was someone that should have been there and should have kept going. So it's just a series of bad decisions and a tidy finish. Yeah, it, it must admit, it felt deflating is probably the best way I could put it, especially after uh, Crive's earlier chance. It's kind of, you start, when you give away what should be a, a much greater opportunity and then turn around the other end and one of your ex-players um, absolutely nails one into into the net, it, does feel like the wind has been sucked out and is this going to be one of the classic Knicks games? Um, I can almost say it has been, it did turn into a bit of a classic Knicks game for this season. One, goals, like Dave said, but also some, um, a bit of feistiness. Uh, The ref was being very lenient on the physicality, should we put it that way? Um, I'm not going to get done for a fine or anything telling him he was just letting everything go, but it certainly felt that way to me. Uh, who wants to tackle this one? I mean, I I want to disagree on some level. Not not because I think he was um, not letting things go, but I think that's kind of the standard of A-League refereeing we see quite often, is particularly in the first half, to let a lot go. I don't think this was a performance that was wildly out of line with what we see most weeks. Um, I mean, there obviously are a few referees out there who do do call a bit more stuff. Uh, but I don't, I, yeah, 
I thought this looked like a pretty standard A-League performance generally. And we do see that often. Um, and it's not just a Phoenix problem, but we do often see that bubbling over to some frustration um, for both sides. And I think for, for once, probably the only thing that was different is the Phoenix didn't end up on the wrong side of it because it feels, as a Phoenix fan, obviously, with our, with our, you know, our one eye watching, it often feels like we're the ones who end up copping the, the red cards out the other side of that. Uh, but that wasn't what happened here. Dale, how did you see the riffing? Uh, I didn't have any problems. Not that I can remember. I mean, it feels like almost a whole week ago, given it was a Friday game. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Can't recall any particular grievances I had. I thought, you know, Cray have got a yellow card for for a sort of bobsled who, while didn't collect much of the play, was kind of a bit careless in in the way he played. So yeah, I didn't think it was was a real talking point at all. Well, I, I just, um, my point wasn't that he was being uh, partial or anything. It was just more that he was letting things go and things were bubbling up very, very quickly. Um, that tackle you mentioned of Crive, that worried me significantly. Um, Two-footed and sliding in with studs showing, I I thought that was pretty orange. Uh, how did you feel, Cam? Cam has strong feelings about it. He can't even put them into words. Sorry, I was just on, sorry, I was just on mute. I'd forgotten. My bad. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't I don't necessarily believe the referee got too much too much wrong. I'm assuming we're going to come to the bigger decisions that we had later on in the um, in the pod. Um, but I have to agree with the with the others that the level of a league refereeing it can at times be inconsistent, and this kind of felt. To be to me to be a fairly standard refereeing performance. Yeah, I think the I think the cry of one if if he collects him, it's probably red, but he doesn't, and so he, he gets the yellow because it was, um, you know, it was careless, it was reckless, but it, it didn't go so far as to be dangerous. Um, and yeah, if he gets him there, it's two footed studs showing. If if he if he touched him, he was off. Hmm. Um. I, will, I guess we'll come back to the refereeing a bit later on because it does uh, take centre stage yet again later. Um, uh, Sass was not at his finest uh, through this, but managed to get a um, shot off and not uh, basically cleared off the line. Um, it, it was. How did everyone see this? That did, was this something that he should have scored, or was it just kind of like no, there was someone back and they were doing well? I think that was a fantastic block, to be honest. Yeah. I think Storm Roo has done brilliantly. Um, I don't think Sass has done anything wrong. I don't think Zawada's done anything wrong. Zawada could have shot, obviously, but yeah. he was unselfish and put out to Emmanuel, who had a better shooting opportunity. And Storm Roo has just done brilliantly. So I don't, um, yeah, I don't put any blame for this not going in on Sass. Obviously, there's other spots that he could put it, but he's bloody unlucky, to be fair. Oh, and he's got he's got to pick a gap between a couple of defenders as well because it's not like there's only one man there. There's there's one man on the line and and that's Storm Roo and he's the guy who ends up blocking it. But there are def- other defenders rushing through there, so he puts it between the middle of two of them, and that's where Roo is. Um, I think I think as you say, Zawada maybe could have shot, but his first touch and a quick reaction from Vuko shuts that down. You know, Zawada gets his head up after that first touch, and and Vuko's already closing him down massively. So I think at that point it was the right right choice to have um to play it back across as he did but maybe that first touch could have been uh could have been a shot itself or or a you know a touch towards the the post rather than trying to bring it back in onto his right but 
you know, he's not to know that at that point. He make, makes a touch and looks to shoot and then can't, so lays it off. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where if he'd put it at waist height, no one was getting to it. Like it's, it's you know, at, at, along the ground, it's easier to throw a leg out and, and try block it. But if it's at waist height or even probably knee height, you know, you can't move across that quick, to, quick enough to, to block it. So he could have done better, but, you know, would have been pretty impressive to thread the needle, I think, of two defenders and a, and a goalkeeper coming across as well. Something that was fairly impressive a bit later on, uh, a couple of minutes later, was uh, Ollie Sale using all of his body to um, stop what was a very firm shot. Uh, are we? I think we're calling this getting big and doing his job, aren't we? Yeah, taking the Falcon for the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he used none of his body whatsoever, uh, just his face. But I mean, he's he's done everything he can, and you use whatever you, whatever's there. And well, his body position, right? Like he's. Like it's basically futsal goalkeeping at that point. His body position is forced to force the shot to face level. Like you know, it all counts. Look like good goalkeeping, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, modelling career was never Ollie Sale's destiny. So uh, this isn't going to hurt his career too badly. Um, You're the one that's prepared to say that to his face, mate. I'm not bringing that up to him. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to talk about with this, and it, it, it genuinely just made me think about something that I I don't know will change. But with all the with all the you know. Um, head injury rules in place. If that had been any other player, play would have been stopped immediately. Um, that sort of contact to the face and a player going down, that you would have stopped play. You know, if that's in the if it, if that's in the middle of the field, play stops and we check on that player. But because it's a goalkeeper, we don't. And I don't really like that. But I don't know really how you fix it because I think you might end up in a position there of keepers claiming it's hit them in the face when it hasn't. But to me, this was clearly to his head could have been a concussion situation and we don't stop play. We, um, we wait that out and, and Ollie's obviously fine, but after play finally stops, he looks a bit rattled and we still don't worry about the head injury there. But like I say, if that's anywhere else on the pitch, I think play stops immediately. Yeah. I, it, I can't remember him going down, but he certainly was giving that head a bit of a shake. Uh, he doesn't go down and gets straight up because he knows he has to, he knows play isn't going to stop, but when play finally does stop, you know, 10 seconds later or whatever, he has to take a minute. And like I say, if that had been any other player and it hits them like that, and we've seen Falcons like that on other players, they go down and they stay down and play stops. But it's a keeper, so he's up. He's crazy, right? You know? <laughs> well, yeah, he's putting himself in the way, which is kind of part of the job description. Uh, at the other end, uh, Zawada's had another opportunity, um, a, a, a bit of a low shot. He's... <sighs> I, I'm torn and conflicted by this. Did we think that this was like a a, um, a genuine chance that should have been put away or just something he's carved out? I'm struggling to remember precisely the, the shot, um, but it came at a time when it was about five minutes before half time. It was just quite end to end for a little bit, wasn't it? And um, it was ended up being quite, a, yep. I think that crucial, that save yep. from sale ended up being quite crucial because, you know, going and turning down, you know, as a, Bigger, bigger ask the, the one no and, and I think you know Yugakovic had a chance that yeah wasn't exactly the most testing shot but it, it, it came at a time when it, it kind of midfield just disappeared for five minutes and it was sort of down one end and then down the other yeah that that period you mentioned I, I was quite surprised because I, I thought um Nisbet and the other Mariners midfielder actually did a really good job of holding that midfield after after I mean they obviously watched the tape of uh, us tearing um Western United apart through that midfield. Uh, they did a really good job of corralling, making sure Cryev didn't get much space and 
Zavada didn't get any short service. Uh, so it seemed weird that they they just drifted off there. But also, so did Ugarkovic and Rufa, to be fair. But speaking of Ugarkovic, um, he had a bit of space and uh, managed to put a shot away. Uh, this is something we want to see from him. He, he does have a good shot. Uh, he's tried to place it, but unfortunately, just not quite on target. I think I'd consider it more part of his role if Lewis isn't there. Um, yeah. I think that's much more within Clayton's uh, sphere. I think Yugarkovic kind of sits more between an 8 and a 6 rather than um, the 8 that Clayton definitely is. And perhaps he takes more responsibility, as I say, with Clayton not there, but he's not really looked likely this season for us, yeah. to be fair. And I don't, I, off the top of my head, don't know what his goal scoring record is like. I like his play. I like him as a player. I think he's industrious and he is creative and he has got some assists and he's done a very good job for us. Certainly a league level player and doing what we want him to, but I don't, uh, I don't necessarily see him as being a goal scoring threat in general. Not generally, but he when he does score, he, score, he tends to score worldies. I remember a couple of free kicks and, and whatnot he scored previous years. So you're saying he's Vinny Lear, basically? Oh, no, that's rough, mate. No, Vinny's great. Vinny, I love Vinny. Vinny is awesome. I was a massive Vinny Lear fan of my youth. Yeah, yep. yeah, don't blame him. He's awesome. I love Vinny. He was well-loved amongst certain parts of the community, yes. Uh, sorry, Dave, I'll cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think, I think Cam's right. Like, I wouldn't. If we, if we had our best 11 out on the field, I don't know that I expect him to, to take many shots. But I think without Lewis there, it, it, it's, in order to not risk becoming too one-dimensional, you need to know that there is a threat from midfield, right? Like, And he knows his wheelhouse is not smashing volleys or you know that kind of thing. It, it is curling measured balls. And so I think... I think for him, this it's smart that he's shooting from there, and this one was a was a good effort, and and could well have gone in on another day against another keeper. Um, so I think I think it's exactly that thing. Without Lewis providing that threat from the slightly deeper, you know, the midfield coming forward, you do need someone who's willing to show the keeper and the and the centre backs and whatever that actually we are we are a threat from out here too. So you can't just be thinking marks a wider out and you're fine. Um, so yeah, from that from that perspective, I think. You need him to be doing that with until Lewis is back. So it's good to see, and hopefully he manages to get one because you know if this had you know nipped in at the back post there, it would have been a great goal. Uh, throwing this out to the general uh, pod, uh, how did we feel at half time? Did we think that this was a game we could easily be uh, clawing back into, or was this uh, slightly nervous times? Sure, we went. I don't think we're playing particularly well, but no, with neither were the Mariners really. They had you know probably the better of it, but. We went out of it. It's A-League, right? And we've seen shown many times a season that takes 10 minutes of a game to switch and the whole game does change. So we're, we're, we're in it until we're 3-0 down, basically. Yeah, I think for me it was like, okay, well, I don't think we're playing that well, but also this is a game where I don't think it's acceptable to take nothing away from it because the Mariners were not good either. So like for me, one point was a pretty like minimum requirement. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had genuinely forgotten Jason Cummings was even on the field, to be to be honest, which is, like, he's a bit of a poacher, so he does tend to be quiet at times, but I, I can't genuinely remember him getting on the ball or any excitement generated, whereas I thought Silvera was kind of doing okay and I was more worried about him. 
And speaking of, uh, he had a bit of an opportunity um, and fluffed his lines early on in that second half uh, before it all rather kicked off. And yes, that was a deliberate pun, by the way. Um, 58 minutes, uh, there was, um, I think it was David Ball going up the left-hand side. Brian Caltech, as he is prone to, is dived in uh, off his feet. Uh, a raised boot studs showing it has skimmed the top of the ball and made direct contact with David Ball who has done his level best to get a BAFTA and thrown himself to the ground. Oh, It was definitely contact but he went down going in the opposite direction to where the the, uh, ball, the uh, tackle was coming from. Uh, I'll just throw it out there. This is red? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I found it very interesting that um, Nick Montgomery got up on his high horse about this at the time and started abusing the ref, which is not cool. Um, but to to say that this shouldn't have been a red, I find really bizarre. I, I think maybe the only thing that could possibly have saved him is a lack of um, momentum. Like he yeah. didn't, you know, charge in. He kind of leapt from a sort of standing point. So the the force of the contact, I don't think, was was huge. But you can't discount where it happened on the leg. You know, and the leg is. Um, I think one of the other things they talk about referees about discussing this is where the, the foot, foot is planted, and if because that's can what cause injuries. Is yeah. if you kick someone whose legs already in the air, then it kind of brushes away. But if it's planted, the force can can cause damage. So um, I think that's the only thing that could have saved him. But yeah, I mean, as a player, like, the fact that the leg was planted, like, Ball's leg was, like, that force, like, maybe it wasn't the most impactful challenge ever, but that force, like, scared me as a player, made me think, oh, that's a leg-breaking challenge, even without that momentum, you know? Like, it's just it's just scary. And the point of the red card to me is, like, 60%, 70% deterrent. Like, you just don't want players taking even the risk of getting it wrong and having that happen. Like, it's just just scares me as a player. I don't like it. So I'm glad it was a red card. I don't think there was anything malicious in the challenge at all. I genuinely think he was probably trying to play the ball. He just made a bad decision about how he's approached it. And if he'd been, what, three, four centimetres lower as he's come in, he'd have got the ball and pushed that out of the way and we wouldn't be talking about this. So certainly nothing malicious there. But this season has proven he's got some rash stuff in his locker and it's come out a few times and perhaps there's some stuff there that the coaches need to sit down and chat to him about or work on specifically so this stuff doesn't happen again in the future. Dale, you've been uh, rather vocal in um, commenting on Brian Caltech's mm -hmm. uh, enthusiastic style. Yeah, I think this kind of sums up um, what I think he lacks in his game in terms of just where the, where the play was as well in the pitch. Like, you know, it was five metres from... You know, the touchline, closest to halfway. David Ball's not tearing down the touchline. You know, there's just no danger in this in needing to make this tackle. Like, even if you want it clearly, you know, the ball probably goes back to the Phoenix somewhere. Just, just not reading the the game situation or the, or very well at all, and, and and having I guess too much enthusiasm than what's kind of needed at the time. So. Yeah, I mean, third red card, that's, you know, and he's going to get a two-week ban. It's um, starting to, to clock up, really. Oh, is it two weeks, is he? 
Yeah, because it's um the the regs are after three red cards you get two weeks minimum. Ooh. So if he gets a fourth, it's three three uh three match suspension. Blimey! And that's pretty much his season done. If he gets another one. Yeah, so that that would be what uh, three games wandering off and another four games where he's been um uh, had to sit down. That's uh that's a significant part of a season. Um. So while uh, Nick Montgomery was uh, going through some reactions, uh, Ufi's reacted as well and pulled, uh, was it Rufa, wasn't it, and brought on uh, Ben Old. How did we think this sub was? Just basically make hay while the sun shines? Yeah, it was the right decision, mate. The right decision at the time. Um, either midfielder, no issue, Um You've got a man up and you're behind by a goal. Yes, you're going to sacrifice your six to put somebody else further forward. So right, the right decision. Um, who you bring on, you know, some of your options are limited, obviously. So, But Ben Old's a good player and uh, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the decision that he made. I mean, it did leave us um, open to the counter quite a bit, I think. And um, even with an extra man, they did create a few chances afterwards. And I, I think not having the extra... Um, perhaps more defensively minded midfielder, midfielder in there. Um, I don't think helped us at all. And you know, in some ways, we're probably pretty lucky to to stay in the game as long as we did. Mm, yeah, well, not so much. Like I'd put it down to Ollie Sale, to be quite honest. Uh, two decent saves after this. Um, uh, another one by McGarry too. God, that would have really hurt um, if he'd cracked that in. Um, yeah, I, I, by that stage, McGarry thought that he sh- he was probably due a second one. To be honest, uh, we'll just push straight on to that. Um, there was a b- fair bit of pressure going on, um, getting into the final stages. Everything was getting quite testy by this stage. He, the ref was trying to keep control, but it, he was struggling. As people have pointed out, this is an A League tradition. Uh, but Oscar Zawada getting the ball inside the six back to goal, the cheekiest of little back heels, um, that's a hell of a way to salvage a point. Is it what? Are we, are, we, are we thinking that's going to be in there for goal of the season, just for the audacity to play a back heel in that situation? I mean, he didn't have any other option, right? He knew, he knew he needed to get some sort of touch, and his body position didn't really allow anything else. As you say, it's still pretty audacious, but I don't think he really had much of an option, and... <laughs> Strikers like that just just try and get anything on it, and he did what he needed to do. So uh, something the commentator pointed out, uh, I think it was um, McBreen, he sh- they made a point of replaying to show um, Zawada peeling off early when he realised he wasn't going to get head to the ball and just get himself into a into space. I mean, that striker's mentality, it's something we've missed previous seasons. It's good to see someone taking opportunities like that, isn't it? Yeah, a bit of proactiveness, not not kind of like, oh, I'm not going to get the ball, I'll just stand here and hope it comes to me. Like he actually, you know, I guess not tried to read the play, but got in a position where if it happened to fall in a dangerous spot, he'd, he'd be there to, to tuck it home and he yeah, did it quite well. Mm. Uh, so that's number 10 for Oscar Zabata. That's uh, that's bloody good return for a guy that's just moved into the league. Um He's talked about wanting to score ten for the season um, and having to reset his goals. Um, what do you reckon he's basically should be aiming for from here? If that's number ten already, probably fifteen is probably a good 
good starting spot. I mean, he went first five. Getting us a trophy. <laughs> he should be aiming to do that. Yeah, I mean, he started five games without a goal, and so he's scored 10 and what? 12, 13 or something? 14, maybe? So. True, I'd forgotten about that that uh, barren start. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty good returns thus far from uh, two of the imports, so that's good to see. Um, we should probably get on to it all going pear-shaped from there. Um, well, not for us, let's be honest. Um, Scott Wooten's um, done his level best to show that he's a, a professional English player and um, gotten big handfuls of, uh, was it Maresh, who has taken extreme exception to this and poked uh, Scott Wooten in the face with an extended digit. Um, this was just dumb. Yeah, I was about to say, is there any way to describe it apart from dumb? No. I mean, Wooten's always getting a yellow for this. The ref's seen it. He's blown for the foul. He's always given the yellow card. Everyone knows this is a yellow card, so I really don't know what he expects to achieve by antagonizing the situation further. Like, it's a very professional foul given. He's going to cop the card and we all move on. Uh, but instead, he just has a brain explosion and does the one thing. Like, he could have done all sorts of things with a brain explosion and not got sent off, you know, could have given him a decent shove and got away with it. But instead, he goes and just jabs him in the face. Like, what a stupid thing to do. As soon as you touch him about the head, you're going off. Just stupid. Yep. Summed it up pretty well, buddy. Yep. Um, you're obviously still finding it amusing, amusing Helena. I was just going to say, this is men's football. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> why, does it, why do they do this? Like, just chill out. It's not that deep. I cannot stress enough how hilarious I find men's football. Like, this ridiculous, the whole thing where they, like, stick their foreheads together. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The physical yeah. fighting. Like, you're a man wearing long socks. Why <laughs> are you physically fighting someone? <laughs> it's just hysterically funny to me. It always has been. It always will be. Yeah, That's I mean, my contribution. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of the artificial bravado either. I think it's. I think yeah. it's ridiculous. Just humble yourself um, and unnecessary. Yeah. Like it, it does nothing to. It, it does nothing for you. Like at least just jog past, call him a something something. But I was quite surprised he got a two-week ban for it because um, really, it, it's yeah, one I'll, week for how stupid it was, and one week yeah, for how I mean, funny it was. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it wasn't exact much force, right? It was kind of like a touch nose, and then maybe kind of a push away the second time around. And you kind of compare that to like Pennington. Pennington was like a couple of hand grab around the neck, not exactly forceful, but yeah. much more um, aggressive. Ag- aggressive and looks much worse and he only yeah. got one week so I, I think though Pennington might have got a little uh little reduction there for the fact it was in retaliation like there was there was a lot of antagonization coming his way whereas in this Wooten walks away he's left it and there is only one person involved right there's there's no no one else getting anywhere near this whereas the Pennington situation was a bit of back and forth and no one covering themselves in glory which I think maybe did him some favours in terms of the suspension. But I think the only th- the only thing dumber than what happens on the field is Montgomery also copping a red for this. Like, your, play- your player has just laid hands on the other player's face. Like, it's a red all day. I don't know what you're arguing about. Like, it's just clear. You should be yelling at your own player for being an idiot. Like, what is he doing? And then Montgomery knows he's already on a yellow 
and has a go at the ref about it. It's just, it's stupid. I think the Caltech one, I can kind of be more understanding of how Montgomery gets a yellow there. There might be a little bit of argument that could be had that it was a softish red. I, I don't particularly entertain that, but I can see how a, a coach would feel aggrieved at that one and mouth off at the four for the ref, right? But this one, you're already on a yellow and it's just such a clear cut red card. I don't know why you'd even say anything. Yeah, that that second week feels like maybe it was an ophthalmologist who was uh, assessing that card, was worried about a detached retina or something. But Jesus, it was soft. Um, I mean, I, I I do have some sympathy. I mean, he's claimed he he never said anything bad, and I which you know, like I mean, oh, it's just Nick Montgomery. Nick Montgomery, yeah. I mean, he's um, practically on the field. Yeah, at the point yeah, where although, the card. Although, Not the technical uh, area. Oh, he's well outside the technical area. Well, that's the yeah. cardinal sin. Well, then, but there's so many other coaches do that. Like, it's a. I'd, yeah. I'd be a bit aggrieved if, if I was the first one to get pinged for that because you look at Riven Zadkovic. He basically halfway down the touchline most games. Um, I I I don't think he's got the yellow for being outside the technical area. I'm just saying where he's positioned himself. I find it difficult to believe he's moved all the way up there to say nothing, to stand there quietly. I just I find that difficult to believe. But we don't we don't have our camera on him, so we don't know. But by the time we do see him in camera shot, he's he's right up there. And I, like I say, I I find it difficult to believe he moved up there to stand quietly. I don't know that we should be using Ruben Zadkovic as the um the high high watermark for a league coaching behaviour either. By the way, um, yes, his troubles are probably best left to another another pod. Maybe the uh, Perth lads want to have a crack at that one. Um, I'll get Ollie on to talk about it. Oof, yes, yes. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll uh, you want to address that now, Dave? Let's do it. So uh, rumours out of Australia that uh, Ollie Sale has um, penned a move to Perth Glory. Uh, I'll go round, actually, let everyone have a say on this. How do we feel if this is accurate? And do we think it's accurate? Uh, I have no idea whether it's accurate or not. I feel kind of disappointed for him. Like I'm sure he's getting more money, or some conditions are, are better, but it's a very big step down for him. And like, if you've got a bit of ambition, I don't think going to Perth Glory is what you do. Like, if he has obviously has some desire to play overseas, to sign a contract, you know, before the season's even finished. Either he has he has some insights that he's not going to go overseas. Um, or he's got a very low buyout clause that Perth might be able to cash in on. But it just feels like a very sideways, if not down step for him. I think that's accurate. Um, I'm not sure why he would want to go to a different A-League club. Um, And I can understand wanting to move overseas, definitely. Uh, Isn't that a goal for everybody who wants to be a professional footballer to play in one of the top leagues in a different part of the world and, you know, use your opportunity while you've got the chance to see some part of the world and live the dream. So I'd get that. Um, But, yeah, I'd find it odd for him to go somewhere that wasn't um, somewhere else in the A-League anyway. That would just be – it feels like an odd step. I don't know if Perth is the dream. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying, eh? It's, um, It's an odd Odd decision. I mean, it makes more sense if, you know, he went to a Melbourne or a Sydney saying, you go, oh, well, you don't have to travel as much. But Perth, you end up travelling more because it's, you know, bigger, it's a bigger flight. Um, and also say, saying that, I also don't know if this is true, just by the way. I just want to put that on record. 
Yeah, it does feel. It, it feels like a, 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 not even a second choice step if it's accurate. You know, feels like a third or a fourth choice step. I, I can't see why when you're the skipper of the side, or certainly the vice captain, uh, um, only skippering when uh, Roof is out. It it feels like it at his age he should be shooting for further, and Perth doesn't help him. Um, playing for playing for the Knicks, meaning that you know, let's face it, we're not we we're a a struggling side at times. As a goalkeeper, you get the opportunity to to show your wares. Whereas Perth, who knows? They've got enough money there. They might turn around and buy a whole new team. That's great, and you might never see, you know, might not get to do anything. Um, and he might get into Asian Champions League and all that kind of stuff if he goes there, which is something he can't do here. So, you know, there's there's other draws there too. Nice lifestyle, better weather. That's a very low-key ambition, trying to get into the Asian Champions League and get a move off that. It's also eight hours flight from home compared to being, you know, much further away. So It's an interesting one. I, I don't know who their goalkeeping coach is there, but I do wonder if the changes in our goalkeeping staff in Wellington are a factor in this as well. Obviously, working under Goffey would have been a big a big bonus. Him not being there anymore um, might might be a factor in this, but I agree broadly like this. This isn't a step up, that's for sure. At best, it's sideways. Um, I would have thought at his age and his skill level, he'd, he'd be looking at a move to Europe, even, even if that required a small step down in terms of league. Um, I think he'd perform at those levels and and be in the shop window, right? So that that might have made some sense. But the only the only the only reason I can kind of, if this is true, give it any kind of okay is the reality is the A League is a big keeper go round most of the time anyway, right? It's not like half the keepers in this league who've been in the league for a while haven't played for pretty much every club. So I, you know, in that sense. The fact he's a keeper and moving to another A-League club is incredibly unsurprising, right? I think the only part that makes it surprising is he's young and we all think he's better than the league. And, you know, seeing him go into a, a Danny Vukovic, for example, and go spend a few years, you know, bouncing about in some in some reasonable-ish teams and, and making a go of it in Europe and ending up back here would be at least a roll of the dice. But this feels very much like he's not even going to bother rolling them. He's just going to get back into the grind at a at a club in Perth and you know there might be some better money and maybe a maybe a different lifestyle that he likes the look of but it just it just feels very unambitious for a guy I thought was pretty ambitious so if the rumor is true I guess yeah that is what it is hmm. uh, well hopefully the rumor is not true and that this is just some either posturing by the agent or uh, a just a bit of absolute trash on Twitter. Um, in, in reality, though, even if it's not true, I don't think there's anyone around this table who expects Ollie to be playing in a Phoenix jersey next season, right? So uh, whether it's true or not, it's kind of neither here nor there. Yeah, I just generally expect him to be overseas. Yeah. That's I, all. I, like, and further afield than Perth. I mean, his football Messina hasn't been as good as previous years. No, that's and, fair. Um, you know, I think if it would have happened, it would have happened last year. And I think, you know, the talk of that, overseas interest I suspect was this club that Berrigetti went to and they decided to go with Berrigetti um you know like that Scottish league is you know hoovering up various A-league players so um given how Berrigetti's gone over there they might be very reluctant to try uh, the A-league again and and so maybe you know the the options to go overseas was was relatively limited and this was a uh maybe a step up financial or trying to set himself up longer term who knows Okay, I think 
until we hear anything concrete, maybe we should just leave that uh, on the tabletop uh, and talk about the women's game on Sunday, uh, playing against a strong Sydney side. Uh, obviously, with the football ferns game, uh, not well, sorry, in the very recent uh, past, there was some noticeable uh, players out or on the bench. Uh, very strong bench, I should say. Uh, the return of um, Melissa Wynnum, uh, Ralston and Satchel on there as well. Uh, but the starting lineup had a bit of a look of makeshiftness. Kate Taylor moving into the uh, defensive midfield. Uh, Chico going on to the right back position and uh, Vandermeer going into centre back. Um, who wants to run with this first? I'm going to throw to you, Helena. How did you feel about that starting lineup? Why ever would you choose me? Uh, no, actually, to be honest, I think that the Kate Taylor thing might be a bit of a directive from NZF, um, just in light of what we saw with the Ferns. Um, I thought it was kind of a stupid decision in the Ferns context, like just where they were at in the tour. But I don't mind it in the Phoenix context. I think that Kate Taylor is someone that could turn into quite an effective, like Rhea Percival style deep lying midfielder if she's given time that like she's 18 so you know she's not baked in as a center back at this point um I thought she was quite good there actually so it didn't really freak me out when I saw the starting lineup I've seen Marisa and FFDP play center back a fair bit so that didn't really phase me that much either I guess partly this because I've, I've just seen these players like come through the development system and play lots of different positions that makeshift starting 11s don't really freak me out a bit but I was intrigued by Kate Taylor I wanted to see how she would handle that because I think Sydney FC is like a really interesting opponent from a midfield perspective because they ask Vine to kind of play like five positions if you really watch what they do they get Courtney Vine to do just a kind of a power of work so that the midfielders have quite an interesting assignment into the sort of like stopping her picking up the ball at halfway because she kind of could hurt you from halfway sort of thing. So I thought it was quite an interesting, just quite an interesting game. And I I was actually quite, it's so depressing. I hate when people in women's sport be like, oh, it's a good 1-0 loss. I just think that's really unambitious. But I think this is one case where I was actually quite impressed despite the scoreline. Yeah, you do mention Vine. She's a, a real danger. That speed she's got and the ability to just get on the outside of players and have a crack. I recall one of the shots she hit in this game. Um, man, she can she can get a foot through a ball as well. Um, Taylor's um, midfield partner was Nesky. She's had a pretty good season, um, so it's probably not the worst idea giving Kate Taylor a shift in there. I've got to say, I, I wasn't a fan of the Taylor decision. From the outset, just I'd seen her play for the Ferns, and I I didn't think she had a great game. Um, but I was more worried that that's a lot of new faces in that back four. Um, as much as Foster's been really good this season, and uh, Vandermeer's been okay, it's still a very inexperienced backline. Sure, but Marissa's played centre back for us several times this season, partnering both Taylor and. Mackenzie Barry and Chico is a right back so they may be inexperienced but we've got inexperience through our entire squad right so I, I was actually okay with that back that back line didn't concern me whatsoever 
going off what we've used already this season. I agree the Kate Taylor decision was odd. I thought it was odd because of the lack of experience and the the ability that she has as a player to put her in that holding position. However, with Betsy Hassett out and the fact that she played there at a high level recently, yeah, okay, it's a decision that you can understand and good on them for going for. Um, so, uh, Dale, you've mentioned that it was Hassett out with a broken nose. I didn't didn't know that was confirmed. Uh, yeah, it was from the Ferns game. I don't recall when it when it happened, but uh, clearly the old Batman face mask that you sometimes see wasn't uh, suffice, and so yeah, she couldn't didn't play. I mean, it's a big out. I mean, considering sort of, I guess her form of the last, you know. Month or month or two, um, I thought that was going to leave us a big, big hole in that midfield, and maybe it maybe it did in terms of creating chances. You know, we had a couple of um, relatively, you know, a few chances, and, and maybe her not being there was part of that pro- part of that problem. The first fifteen or so minutes, um, how does everyone feel? Went I, I must admit I missed this first fifteen. Uh, only came into it about in the thirtieth minute. Um, it, it didn't feel like we were out of it, but I. I the in replays that they it just seemed like there were a couple of silly mistakes, bad touches and the like. The first fifteen was honestly some of the worst football you'll ever see from both sides. Like just, I mean, I've been on this, I've been on this soapbox for weeks because of the ferns, but like the technical basics were just not getting done by either team. Um, which arguably is a worse sin from Sydney because they're polished, they're experienced, et cetera, et cetera. But no one could put their foot on the ball. The midfields were getting bypassed both ways. It was just bedlam. Um, I, I want to actually carry on on that subject because I noticed similar with the Ferns. The first touches uh, against Argentina were horrible, to be quite frank, um, leaden-footed and just almost kicking the ball away. And I noticed that it started happening here uh Particularly, I remember Mackenzie Barry doing one, turning the ball over. Uh, Vandermeer doing another one. Um, it's stuff that you don't want to see from your back four, especially because of the risk. But just the the quality of technical, uh, well, the technical ability on the ball. Just is, is this just uh, a lack of experience, or is this this universal now? I could honestly like I could conduct a pod a ten episode podcast on this issue. Like it just boils my blood I just think that we're paying the cost for a decade of mediocrity in terms of how we've been developing players and this is a hard thing for me to say as me right because I grew up playing with a lot of these people I came through the system and 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 but you know the reality of it is we haven't developed players who are technically good enough we focused on athletes and we're paying the cost do you think the the presence of the Phoenix will help that, or do you think it's got to start even ages before? Like, like you know, we're getting them in maybe eighteen, maybe you know, Clegg's what sixteen or seventeen. It, does it does it happen before that, or do you think the Phoenix is gonna try fill some of that void? Well, just just before you also do answer, they are much younger than that in the academy now too. Yeah, I don't mean it like a doom and gloom thing. I mean, this is this is the thing when we talk about player development, we're we're thinking like decades out. So these players now are my generation. So I was like the year one of the whole of football plan when we changed to seven aside for girls that get more touches on the ball. But 
something that we had in FTC was this like decision-based model. So they didn't really, we never juggled before training. We didn't do rondos. Like the whole rep system was about make the right decision and X position and Y situation you make this decision and so on and so on. We had no technical development. That's what we're getting through. I'm not that doom and gloom about the future because I think the Phoenix Academy will do a good job of developing players. I think there is more of a technical focus. I think the rise of futsal is going to make a bigger difference than people realize. Um, in football, there was no expectation coming through high level football in New Zealand that you'd be technical. Like people thought would say to me like, well, you can run. So that's that, right? Like, which is completely wrong. Whereas in futsal, people get rejected from the futsal ferns camp, like sent home all the time because their first touch isn't good enough. So that culture shift is going to come through. It's just, it's going to come through in five years. I think Millie Clegg's kind of a bit of, I think Millie Clegg's an aberration. Like I, I'm not sure that we'll ever develop someone quite like her again for a while. Yeah. I only saw about maybe the middle 45 minutes and, um, you can tell from her, she just seems to glide around the park. Like, it just looks so effortless for her. And, and you can see every time she moves the ball, she's moving it, you know, 20% quicker than anyone else on the pit, uh, you know, on our side. It's just her decision-making, her play, her movement, her change of pace, change of direction is just that much better than everyone else. And, you know, for someone who's 16, you know, not fully physically at the same, you know, development as some of the older, I mean, that's, quite quite a stark difference I think she does this the thing that I think shows the difference I'm talking about is she scored a goal off it the other week she takes about three touches directly at the defender close control and then she shifts and hits straight away which is something that like I think it looks simple but requires a high high degree of technical proficiency and we don't have other forwards that will create that little yard of space to shoot because they actually don't have the technical ability to do it yeah, that, I, I've got to say that I, I can I can picture exactly what you're talking about there with it. it when she's facing forward, she's an exceptional player with the ball at her feet. Um, I, I think obviously she's got a bit of work to do around the rest of the park, but it, I, it does feel like she's. It's almost a bit that she's a bit wasted where she is and the position she's playing. That she's expected to get back and do that, and I, it, it almost feels like you play her like a, a young Ronaldo. You, you, you know, there's someone with electric pace, good with the f- um, foot, the ball at your feet. You, you get them running at players and get them not having to focus on anything else. Dale, sorry, long chat. Yeah, I was, I was just going to surmise. That, I mean, she so it looks like she's probably going to go to college next year in, the, in America. And, and my experience of American youth football is that it's it's very athletes. much athletes and. and you know the the technical side comes later. I don't know whether that's the same at college level. I know it's it's definitely the case at, at youth level, or at least it was sort of five to ten years ago. Um, I've been in and around the scene, but yeah, I just wonder whether that's the right move. And I don't know what the right move is for her, but I just wonder whether her development will stall if that's still the case. Look, I mean, this has been a discussion that's been happening at NZF for about five years about trying to stop players going. I'm a massive nerd. I, I would go to Harvard in a heartbeat, but Millie Clegg needs to not go play college soccer. Like, I really think that. 
I think it, it's hard as well because I think we're gonna we're gonna focus on individual players at this sort of stage of a of a transition to having a professional club, right? But we all know that the reality is about player development is it's a funnel model, and we need those those more years and more investment under the belt to get more people in the top of the funnel, right? And and that we. When you hit that point where it doesn't matter that some of them are going to college and some of them are staying here and and some of that, whereas at the moment the underinvestment in women's football and the lack of you know a professional pathway has meant we've kind of been making some decent players in spite of the system, not because of the system. You know, some decent players have come through, and we see some of those amongst the kind of older crew that that made it into the Phoenix, and some of these younger ones as well who have obviously you know been a bit more touched by the system than, than the older generation were, but we're still at a position where this isn't a complete pathway and it needs more years under its belt. So we are going to be kind of looking at these ones who made it in spite of it and focusing on them a bit more heavily than the ones five years down the track, which are where we really need to be focusing. That's where we we actually see the success of this pay off, right? Because at the moment, we, I, I think we can all agree, you know, you're looking at a Phoenix team that has some has some, you know, raw ability in there and bits and pieces. But in reality, we know it's not at the same level as the rest of the league. They're just not there on pretty much every front. You know, the the technical ability is not as good. The fitness isn't as good. And the experience isn't there. And there's no way around that other than just more time with a proper system and proper investment. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. It's, uh, it's the, effectively, the women's team is five years behind just like the academy for the women is also five years behind. It took five years for the uh, academy, the men's academy, to start paying good dividends on that end. And with the women only just coming in now, effectively within the last year, it's still five years away before we do see some good results coming out the other end. So, But I think it will make a massive, massive difference. Having, having that set pathway, having now a professional uh, outlet that they can, that the women can go through it will in time given the right investment and the right training in that academy pay dividends it's actually beyond sorry i was just jumping like one point came arising from that it's kind of beyond that so for the last five years there's been like a professional pathway that was the point of fftp what we haven't had was a professional pathway that didn't require uprooting your life and leaving new zealand um and that's something that i i think that can't be overstated in the context of the women's game because we haven't had the privilege of dedicating our lives to football. We all had to have backup plans. And sometimes your backup plan ends up being quite cool and you don't want to just throw it away. So I think that having something based in New Zealand where it gives women a bit more flexibility, that that's still the reality for us because we're not going to make millions. I think that's a massive point. I think even more than that as well, even even the FFDP program, right, for a lot of New Zealanders required uprooting your life and going to Auckland to even begin that process, then potentially uprooting your life and going overseas, right? Like obviously having run a Wellington-based club with a with a strong women's team, I know we had a lot of players who, if a Wellington option had existed that was a pathway, would be in a very different space than they are now. I mean, Mickey Robertson's a, a great example of that. I, I can only imagine where she might have been if a Phoenix Academy and Phoenix Pathway had existed when she was, you know, 10 years younger. Uh, because everyone could see that talent at that point, right? And she was a bit of a test case for them in terms of, you know, she was in there training with the with the um, the men's under seventeens and stuff in that Phoenix Academy for a long time before there was a women's academy. Um, but you know, that stuff was very hard for those players. Then, as you say, there was big life decisions to make 
to even have a shot at it. And some people didn't want to make those big life decisions and uproot everything for a chance at a mediocre earning, you know, whereas when you're talking the men's game, millions of dollars are on offer. Um, it's just not the same prospect for the woman. I'll tell you where Mickey Robinson would be. She would have uh, learned how to stay on side and not waste her the yeah. best probably finish she's 100%. ever had in her whole life. <laughs> she's looking across the line, man. No. It's not the first time this season either. No, not the first time not. a Phoenix player's done that. Oh, it grinds my gears. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Thanks for bringing it back to the game, Dale. Um, but th- yeah, that was that was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, what a finish, though. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Just it couldn't have been better, right? Absolutely perfect. Yeah. But yeah. did she know she was off, and that's why she had no problem slotting it? That I always wonder that. But with with. Mickey Robertson, I also, like we had the previous question, she is just so rapid and they don't have VAR to check the offsides on those things. Yeah. How close is that call? She was miles off. She was way off in this case, but in that, was it Brisbane? She was on. that. She got punished for being fast in that case. And because, like, you know, I've played Mickey Robertson and I, like, I just... She looks fast on TV and it actually still doesn't convey how fast she is. Like, it's just so weird. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, man, it was. It was such an outstanding finish. And I'm just so gutted that it didn't count because that's goal of the season territory. Um, can we give a, a bit of a shout-out at the other end for Bree Edwards? Um, I thought she had a slow start, but, man, did she have a good end to the, this game. A couple of beautiful saves. I feel like I harp on this quite you often. You do, but, but it's valid. She 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 is she is developing into quite a keeper. For a, a woman with quite a small stature, she can get a she gets about the goal. She's I don't know, man. It's just she was just really benefiting from the coaching that she's receiving on a daily basis to turn her into what she's becoming quite an accomplished keeper. And I think off the weekend, our keepers are actually the players of the game for both games. Um, they kept us in both legs at times, paid dividends in the men's game, didn't in the women's game, obviously, but with a little luck at the other end, we come away with something from that game. And Bree Edwards can put a hand up. There's one particular save in the second half that was driving one-handed. Oh, oh, that yeah. was fantastic. And I feel like a broken record because I do say this almost every week because I'm just so impressed. But I think she is up there for player of the season because of the way she's keeping uh, uh, keeping the goals down against us. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think there was some some of the games early in the season we were we were kind of talking about when Lily might be back and and you know what sort of impact that might have on the team. I don't even think that's a consideration anymore. I think I think the the improvement we've seen from from Brie across the season is just phenomenal. I I don't know that even if Lily was fit, she would slot straight back in as the number one. I mean, the the coaching staff might say that differently, but I think um, Brie's stuck her hand up and said, "This is my spot. Come take it off me." Essentially, you know, it, it, she's yeah, and, and it's not to say that she was she was bad at the start of the season because I don't think she was, but she genuinely looks an A-League a level keeper now and, and the development's just been huge and, and there's still more to come. It's great. 
what I have really liked about um, her game progression this season, um, she was a little quiet when she started, but I noticed certainly this game, man, you could hear her from the other side of the planet. She was making sure that even on throw-ins that her defenders knew where to be. I, I love that from a keeper, really do. Uh, rate that um yeah she had a cracking game uh we should uh give a late nod to Paige satchel that run right at the end uh gave herself a good opportunity but didn't quite take it but man she manufactured the the chance in the first place um she she too is pretty rapid that 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 series of play sequence did sum up kind of the page satchel phenomenon to me though like, yeah she's really fast i mean she is a different kind of fast to mickey and millie she's fast over a longer range like she's kind of like a car once she gets going you won't stop her um but that kind of lack of end product there was a better decision there you know like and as a winger that's kind of like that's that's your stock and trade is making that final decision and getting it right I just don't think she's. I still don't. I still don't see that from Paige Satchel enough. You know, it was the better decision to take the tackle and win a penalty because she seemed to. There's a sliding tackle and she seemed to just like jump over the top of it. I was like, just take the hit and take a penalty. That to me, no, it was the square. Ball. The square ball is one, but but equally, like I, I'm not. I would never argue for simulation. I hate diving. But knowing when to actually take the contact and go down as a winger, especially in the women's game, like I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to this whole gender thing, but actually it's true. The inclination in in female players is to just like take the contact and keep playing. Sometimes that's a stupid thing to do and it's legitimate to to take the contact and go down. So like all of that comes, comes to the same point. It's this game intelligence. Yes, she's really fast. I think technically she's improved, but it's this game situation awareness, the game intelligence and making the right decision. She's still not seeing it, you know, and it's getting to the point where I've always said like, oh, she just needs to add this, add this, but it's getting to a point where it's like, okay, when's it getting added? Yeah, that, that is um, a valid concern. She was brought in to the um, Knicks as the experienced player and, still hasn't quite got that link up with everyone else to create good chances. Um, there was a couple of notable um, uh, subs as well. Alyssa Wynnum getting time after a long absence. Uh, how did we feel she went? I thought she was at least a little bit off. Do we think that that's just a question of getting back in the flow after a long absence? She's she's obviously an incredibly gifted footballer, um, and not knowing the reasons behind why she's not been there, I think it's worthwhile giving her a bit of time and a bit of space to get back into the swing of things. So um, I'm prepared not to judge at that situation. Super hard gig as well, yeah. But like such a hard gig to like number ten on the field, like to just come into that at like seventy minutes or eighty minutes or whatever. Her first touch was a good turn between the lines. To face forward so I feel like Alyssa will be fine her obviously her technical ability is something that we don't have in in the next women's team um do we think that that is uh that she'll make it make a significant difference if she's able to bring that to the game versus say um not or has it if you can fit her and Grace Wisniewski into that same team 
I'm not sure how you do it. We've got a lot of resources within that space. Obviously, you've also got Emma Ralston as well, who can theoretically drop back into there as well. Um, if you can fit her in around those players to to make a cohesive unit that still defends well, then yeah, you'll see some great stuff. But I'm glad it's not me that has to make those decisions, to be honest. Um, so, uh, Gunty, who are you playing through that that central um, midfield, given everyone's fit, and who do you think actually adds the most there? Uh, right now? Yeah, I'll start with you, but then I'll go Helena. I would do Hassett, Wisniewski, and not probably at the moment. Uh, assuming they're all fully fit? Fully fit and up to match speed, yes, those three at this point. How do you feel about this, Elena? Do you see a change being good for the Knicks? No, I kind of agree with Cam's. Yeah, mm, it's a very tough one. I think Chloe not really adds a level-headedness and a calmness that's useful. And has it like when she's when she's on above the level, which is what we need. You know, you need someone that's above the level. But, yeah. I mean, a fully fit Alyssa who is confident and taking players on. There's no one else around that doesn't like her, right? Yeah, there, she is singular. So, if, you know, when she's on, then, yeah, you're putting her in the starting 11. But equally, I'm not someone who believes that you always have to have the same midfield week to week, actually. So just, just think about that perhaps five years down the track with the Millie Clegg and Alyssa Wanham firing and ha- having the experience and then having the maturity that comes with being a little bit older, they could be one hell of a pairing. That's a hell of a, a, a hell of a thing to look forward to. Um, shall we move on to off the field? Uh, do we want to go through the games next week or off the field specifically? Good choice. We'll go with off the field. Um, the next round uh, is Pride. Uh, is it Pride Week or Pride I Round? I think the Pride Round was last week, but we're doing it this week. It's Pride Celebration. Yeah, it's the New Zealand Pride Round. Right. Um, so who wants to kick this one off and uh, just any details around what's coming up for this week? Well, I, I just want to say I think it's good that even though we didn't have a home game for Pride Round, we've still managed to, you know, talk to the league and, and say we we want to host a Pride Round anyway. So um, we're doing that. I think that shows really good intent from the league um, to A, let us do it, and from the club to ask for it because we didn't have to. We didn't have to host a Pride celebration in New Zealand. It would have been just as easy for lots of the clubs to have um, not bothered. And I suspect, you know, obviously they would do what's required of them. But the fact that we're going above and beyond in some sense I think is um is actually a really good show of intent from the club, and I I love that. Yeah, uh, we've got to give um tip, a bit of a hat tip to the club. Um, they have traditionally gone out of their way for um uh LGBT community. Um, do, is um is there anything uh, special being done at the game that we know of? I'm, I'm not. I haven't seen any announcements as yet. I mean, we know the club isn't doing a special kit. They've they've come out and said that they would have loved to have been able to, but league rules prohibit them from doing so. You're kind of allowed to do one um, special one-off kit per season, and we've already used our opportunity for that. So sadly, there won't be an opportunity for it to be a full kit. Um, but 
I would assume there is other stuff we're not across yet. And we've seen, you know, some social media stuff around um, special logos and that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I would assume there's more to come. We've obviously had a, a quite a few, um, well, not quite a few, um, a few professional players now now coming out. Is this, um, obviously it's a good uh, good nod to the, the whole community. Does, is this having a positive effect in regards to um, professional players coming out as well? Uh. I think um, I think the the women's game has been embracing the LGBTQ community for much much longer than the men's team. It's been the men's game, sorry, and yeah, it's great that the men are starting to um, to come out and feel safe and being able to do so. That's brilliant. But we also need to look at the fact that the the women's game has been inclusive for a very very long time. So it's it's. I don't want to say we're shedding a light on this because I, I, I just think the men's game is just catching up and and the the sport as a whole is actually taking a lead now from what the women have been doing for a long time. So is that almost more important then that we, we do this sort of thing to actually um, allow the men's football community and sports community to feel in, in a safe enough place um, to where as the women have managed to to achieve? To answer your question in a word, yes. Because I think what a lot of people will see, what people maybe outside the community might think about this is you put some rainbows on something and you say the word pride a lot of times and someone says love is love. And what does that really mean? Like what is that? Those are just symbols. But actually the symbol is the point. Something that the women's game has always done well is have people who are visibly queer who can be seen to be who they are. And that communicates to people coming through those systems, be it young players or players who come into football, that it communicates through symbols that this is somewhere that's safe. Because there are symbols and triggers and indicators around us all the time. It's just most of them are that it's only okay to be straight. And in the men's game, your symbols are the slurs that the other side defender says when they get yellow carded your symbols are the fact that your teammates only ask you about your partner and the different gender those are your symbols so what this round does is put a massive multicolored rainbow symbol up in the men's game as well as the women's game that says this is a safe place and if you're not on board with that get out and I think that the league I think it's like I don't really like to hand out yay you're an ally cards very easily but I think that the league should really be commended for doing this because you do take some heat I try to avoid reading the replies but the symbol is the point you know the symbol is the point it's it seems like um they've the league and however you want to describe that has taken a very long engagement up until this point it hasn't just been they've rocked up a month out and gone oh shit let's do a pride round uh, it feels like they've engaged, you know, experts and and spokespeople to kind of work out you know, what to do, how to do it, who to approach, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it sounds. I think I, I read somewhere it was like twelve months in the making, kind of thing, which which I guess is a you know a nice solid foundation to to take something forward more um, consistently and appropriately, rather than kind of every. Stay very season going, ah, oh, shit, we just need to do this for this date. 
Yeah, it's not like, oh shit, it's Mardi Gras this weekend. Better stick a rainbow on the victory kit, right? Like there has been community engagement. And that to me is what makes me more inclined to be like, I commend this. Because we want to commend it because again, the symbol is the point. Like when people say that it's just like, pride dressing or rainbow washing that's a valid critique but it doesn't mean that symbols don't matter yeah absolutely and I, th- I think that's right i think there might be there might be some clubs around that are just rainbow washing that that might be the case but i certainly don't feel like that's the case with uh, with our club and and with our fan base right i feel like um much as I don't want to pat ourselves on our own back, I think I think the Fever have done a lot of work in that space for a long time, and so having an event and around league wide to you know to to hang some of that off is really nice for once, rather than it being um, kind of off our own back a lot of the time. So it's it's nice to be able to have that kind of centralized force driving it for once, which I love. Um, but I also think. Like the club clearly has gone out of its way to do some stuff and that should be commended as well on top of the league. So I, I feel like we're in a really good space in that sense. You know, you could see the interviews um, some of the players were giving from training today about what Pride Round means to them and um, some of that stuff, which is really good to see. And yeah, um, much as you say, you know, there's there's some fans around the entire league that are outing themselves as, you know, horrible bigots. Um, it makes those blocks a lot easier and, and you don't have to read the comments, but the overwhelming force behind this is a force for good. Um, and those voices are very much feeling like a minority. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Like, obviously, we put out some merchandise a couple of weeks ago and I was kind of expecting a few people to pop up in the reply saying, you know, the typical stuff that you see and not anyone and no one did. And I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I, I know, you know, I've had a stroll of the A-League's social medias and there's some shit in there but i'm i'm impressed that it was fairly minimal well it was non-existent on ours and pretty minimal on the, on the phoenixes which is um nice yeah there's always more to do to get to perfection but um it seems like maybe the the football communities over here are a bit more i don't know what the right word is progressive or Inclusive. I think if there's something you learn as a queer person and as a Phoenix fan, it's that you have to take the wins when you get them. And sometimes the wins are a little bit shit and you're not quite sure you deserve the win, but you have to take the wins when you get them, you know? And I think this is a win. Oh, absolutely. I think to Dale's point, like I, I agree when it comes to the Phoenix and that, that football community, but I do think there's a lot of work still to be done in the wider club community. Oh, and yeah. I, I, look particularly at the men's game and and we know that some of that behavior that goes on is not good enough and I, I think you know having helped run a club increasingly we see it being called out and talked about and you know there are repercussions for it more and more certainly more than there used to be when I started playing um, and that's progress but there's still a hell of a lot to be done in that in that club space but at least our one professional club are leading by example yeah I, I'd like to say that that's good but um if I can ever urge vigilance in this, it's um, it's the one thing I thought that we did well as a as a fan community, and yet I got accosted on the bus coming back from a game by someone raging about the the politicisation of football and this and that. Um, I'm sure you can imagine the words I used to that young man. Um, but yes, I didn't get chucked off the bus anyway. Um, yeah. 
Dale, I'm going to do the horrible thing here and throw to you about um, the uh, merch we've got on offer to support uh, to support Rainbow Fever and also the charity. Yeah, we, you might have seen a whole bunch of uh, t-shirts coming to Fever Towels, which we have previously sold. One of the big feedbacks was uh, there weren't enough um, pink t-shirts available so we have sourced a, um, a slightly different shade of pink and will hopefully tomorrow or by the time you re- hear this um, those will be available uh, for about 10 days of pre-order um, they're not in stock until later in March so there'll be a little bit of a time delay before you get them but uh, for those who were demanding on our social medias for more pink t-shirts we have found some and Cam has also delivered some uh, pretty snazzy badges. Are they what they're called? Badges? Yeah, just button badges. Yeah. 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 Um, so they are also be on sale on our shop. I didn't think there was much point in me wearing a T-shirt when I have to wear bibs over the top and you can't see it. So I wanted to wear something that would be a little bit more visible to show support. Nice. Good job, buddy. Um, so just remember... Uh, Get on the uh, Fever shop if you want to grab any of those. Um, I believe badges will get shut, thrown in with the T-shirts rather than sent separately. Um, awesome work by the Fever shop attires uh, to find those T-shirts. Um, we should also say that the profits are going to Inside Out to support the, uh, the Rainbow Charity Inside Out, Rainbow Youth Charity, I think. Uh, so um, there's not going to be anything coming back into we're not making any money out of this this is all going to support you know a very good charity who do very very good work in the community I was going to say I think those t-shirts are probably our best selling for probably close to a decade I reckon wow selling t-shirts awesome when when I first talked to our screen product I said oh I reckon we'll probably do about 20 to 30 and we ended up doing 80 I think and there's a second round to come as well, right? So, yeah, the most demanded yeah. ones were the pink ones, and we weren't able to sell them, but now we've got some. So, <laughs> uh, get your orders in quickly. Elena, you want to put one in an order in now? Have you got yours yet? I secured a pink t shirt very early because I knew that they were the coolest. It's <laughs> somewhere between Wellington and Auckland right now. Yeah. I'm reliably informed. So, yeah, we, we, can give, we can give you one of the badges as your, uh, as your fee for appearing on the pod this week. Nice. Uh, Lawyers bill in six minute units, by the way. So I hope you've got a lot of the badges. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll drop you one next weekend in Auckland. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my legal advice on this pod. Probably be shut the hell up. But uh, we'll get on to the um, next round. Just do it as quickly as we can because we have had a nice long pod this day. Uh, Saturday, uh, we're back at the stadium for a first time in a very long time. Um, so please come down and pack it out. The men are playing at 3pm against the Newcastle Jets and the women are playing the Raw at 5.40. Uh, I don't think there's any changes in personnel except uh, Callan Elliott back. I will give everyone the opportunity to... Give me a prediction in the score for both games. Uh, we'll start with you, Dave. Oh, that's tough. So uh, for the men, I reckon, I reckon it's going to be a tight one. Maybe, maybe one nil to us for the women's game. Honestly, every game for them is a tough day out. I'd love, to, I'd love to see them nick a draw, but there will be goals in it. Let's, let's say a two-all draw. Dale, two close wins. Cam, the men are going to win three-two. Uh, Piscopo and 
um, Satirio will score for the Jets, and we will score an 89th minute winner from Zawada doing something spectacular again. Uh, after the last time the women met Brisbane, uh, I think this one's probably going to be dour and it would be 1 0 because last time it had all the goals and all the action. It was just an incredible game of football to watch. So, um, tell you what, though, if we play the same way and they play the same way, it's going to be one hell of a game. So, I'm looking forward to that one. Cool. I'll jump in now just so that Helena gets the final word. Uh, yeah, definitely not going to be a clean sheet in either game, Dave. Um, you're dreaming. Uh, I think this is going to be like a 2-1 win in the men's team and the women. I think it's going to be a 2 all draw. Helena, see us out for the, the pod. I'm going to go 2-0 for the men. And then I'm feeling bold. I reckon the women can win 2-0. 2-0. I just love that confidence. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, Elena, for joining us. Um, that was a fantastic effort. I love the forthrightness. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and good night.